Have you ever woken up from a dream in a panic, only to be relieved quickly when you realize that it was just a dream? I actually do this a lot, and feel free to make fun of me for it, but I've actually had a semi-recurring dream ever since Janie and I started dating. I say semi-recurring because it's always a little bit different in details, but the same in outcome. Ever since Janie finally realized that I'm awesome, not creepy, and agreed to date me, I've had the same dream over and over, at least monthly, where, where she leaves me. Uh, sometimes she just breaks up with me, and other times she actually dies. But either way, I wake up in a cold sweat, incredibly upset, and wondering either what am I going to have to do to get her back, or how on earth am I going to be able to live without her? Uh, the first one that I can remember vividly, it had been happening long before this, but the first one I remember vividly was before I was going to ask her to marry me. Uh, I had this plan worked out. I drove out to Colorado because I wanted our families to be able to celebrate with us when we uh, got together that evening, and her friends had demanded that they be a part of this engagement also. So I drove out to Colorado. Her friends were going to wake her up early that morning, take her, drop her off at the airport so she could fly out to Colorado. I had someone to pick her up from the airport and drop her off at a trail that ended up in a waterfall. I thought it was a great plan, but the night before, I couldn't get any sleep at all. Not just because I was nervous about proposing to her, uh, it was definitely some of that, but the first time I dozed off, I had a dream where her plane crashed and she died. I, I know, I'm pathetic. Feel free to make fun of me for that. Uh, I just can't imagine her not being a part of my life. It freaked me out. A couple of months ago, actually, I woke up to Janie jumping up out of bed, screaming, oh my God! Which is really weird because she never takes the Lord's name in vain like that. And I just popped up. I was like, what's wrong? And she had already run out of the room, run into Asa's bedroom, picked him up, which got him all woken up and started crying. So thanks for that. Uh, but then she came back in after she had calmed down. She came back in and said, I guess it was a dream. But I had a dream that the sign that we have that has his name on it above his bed had fallen on top of him while he was sleeping and killed him. So we actually had to take that sign down for the next week so that she could get sleep for the next week. But look, I, I don't think that Janie is just going to leave me for no reason. I really don't think that that's going to happen. And I don't think she's going to die in a plane crash. We don't fly anywhere all that often. But I don't know. And that's just it. I don't know. I don't know what the future holds. None of us do. I don't know what's going to happen six years from now, but on a much more real level, I don't even really know what's going to happen tomorrow. So what are, we, what are we doing with that? How are we navigating that? Could you maybe use a little bit of help with that in this season? I know I could. And we've got to talk about this because there is just so much unknown in our lives right now. Unknown in our marriages unknown in our relationships, unknown in our jobs, incomes, with health, unknown in our country, unknown in our own homes, and all of this unknown brings what? It brings stress, it brings worry, anxiety, exhaustion, fear. But what if it doesn't have to be that way? Right, the unknowns are going to come, but what if we could change the way that we respond to it? So what if it doesn't have to be that way? What if we could go through unknown calm and confident and emerge on the other side stronger than we have ever been? What if it's possible for us to not only survive, but to thrive in the face of unknown? 
What if a big part of our problem in navigating seasons of unknown in our lives and stories is a failure of us to comprehend and understand God's story? Because what tends to come to the surface, the most common thing to come to the surface during times of unknown is this thing called fear. But as we read and study and begin to understand God's story, we realize that there is a much better option available to us. I want to look at just a couple of different characters in the Bible this morning to illustrate kind of these common themes among pretty much every story that we see in the Bible, which kind of makes sense being that this is all God's story. He tends to act in roughly similar ways with his people. But I want to start out with Noah. And that's in Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to pick up in verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Let's just pause there for a second. The core concept in this week's Core 52 is faith. And I really like how Mark, the author, defines faith. He defines it as fidelity, as allegiance or loyalty. And you can see it in the life of Noah. Mankind had become wicked, but Noah remained loyal to God. So God sought out Noah and gave Noah an opportunity to step into his story, a story much, much larger than Noah's own. So here's what God says if we pick up the story in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God says how corrupt the earth had become. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. And then it goes on to give all of the dimensions and instructions for ark building that I don't really feel like we need to discuss right now. But here's the point, the big point, the starting point to every story we see in the Bible. And it applies to us. We have to understand this, that the life that God has for us is an invitation into the unknown. In order for Noah to walk into the life that God has in store for him, the promises that God has in store for him, will require him to walk into the unknown. The promises are clear. I will save you. I will save humanity by extension through you. I will have a relationship with you. And what God is asking is pretty clear. Build an ark and here's exactly how to do it. But everything in between is unknown. And the same is true for all of us today, that the life God has for us is an invitation into the unknown. And here's the problem. That's not our preference. Seems a little bit reckless. Seems a little bit wild. Maybe even looks out of control to the people around you, which is kind of exactly what walking with God is supposed to be like. So let's just talk about control for a second. Have you ever found yourself wanting to be in control of your own life and story? I know I have. We want to know the path from start to finish and every single stop along the way. We want to, we attempt to write the script for our own story. We want to know how it starts. We want to know how it is going to finish. And I want to eliminate all of the unknown from my story. But God is inviting us into a much larger story. His story, a story where my life can be fulfilling, have purpose, be full of hope and expectation and have an impact that lasts for generations to come, but a story that requires us to walk into unknown with him. 
Now here's a big question that I have to ask myself today, and maybe you too. Are we spending a whole lot of time and a whole lot of energy chasing down a path that will never lead us to the life we really want? I think we are. Because the deepest desires of our hearts are placed there by God so that we can bring those passions with us as we adjust our loyalties to Him and Him alone. The life our hearts are looking for, one where our passion meets with our abilities and our legacy, that life is at the end of a journey through the unknown into God's story. You know, if you jump ahead just a couple of chapters, you come across the story of Abraham Now, this story starts out in exactly the same way. Mankind had become wicked, and God seeks out Abraham, a man who had remained loyal, faithful to him. And God unloads the promises. I'm going to make you into a great nation. You and I are going to have a relationship unlike any other. I need you to go. I need you to leave your home and just leave. Again, the promise is clear. The command is clear. But all of it, how all of it will unfold? Not so much. Abraham has no idea where he's going to be going, but he still goes. It's an amazing show of faith. He just ups and leaves. But let's take a look at what happens at the first real sight of unknown in Abraham's story. And pick it up in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 10. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So what happened here? You have all the promises, which sound pretty awesome, by the way. And Abraham has already left home. He started off on this great journey, but then he just suddenly decides that God isn't in this anymore. So he lies. He gives up his wife so that he won't die. Look, if God promised this, shouldn't Abraham know that God is going to come through? So what happened? I think the same thing that happens to every single one of us, at least uh, it happens to me quite often. Fear tends to trump faith in the face of the unknown. What happened to Abraham? Fear entered the story. Why? Because there's a gap. There's a gap between God's promises and Abraham's present circumstances. We have to pay attention to that gap. That gap is the unknown that God is calling us into, and fear tends to fill that gap. This is the moment that we realize that we have lost control and have no idea what's going to happen to us. Not just six years from now, but we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow either. And fear fills the gap. He's worried about his own life, his own health, his own future. And all the while, God is patiently calling him into a larger story. Here's the good news. My present circumstances are never an indication that God's promises to me aren't true. The problem is it never feels that way. I'm sitting here in the midst of my problems in my marriage, my job, whatever, and it feels like, it really feels like God's promises to me aren't true. It's easy for us to look at characters like Abraham and see how God's promise is true because we can see something in Abraham's story or any other stories that we read that we can't get to see in our own seasons of difficulty. 
the rest of the story. We can't make sense of God's promises and see that they are true with a today or tomorrow perspective. All we get to use is yesterday. And when I'm going through a season of doubt or difficulty or fear, it really looks like my present circumstances and God's promises are in direct conflict with each other. But when I look backwards, I can see how God's promises have always prevailed for me. And there's a pattern that emerges in the life of Abraham. God promises, then present circumstances happen, and fear fills the gap. He blows it, he sins, and then God promises again. Does that sound a little bit familiar? This exact same scenario from Egypt happens a second time. He asks Sarah to pretend she is his sister again. Then God promises Abraham a son. They can't have one, so Abraham decides to sleep with his slave girl instead. And all the while, God continues to reiterate this promise. And then what happens? Isaac is bored, born. And God finally asks Abraham to sacrifice this long-awaited son to him. But this time, the story finally changes. Abraham does it. He takes his son. They go up the mountain. They gather up the wood. He places Isaac on top of it. He raises the knife. And I just know that Abraham has to be remembering in this moment, I've been here before and God has always brought me through. God didn't want Isaac dead, so he stopped it. It was never about Isaac. It was always about Abraham. But Abraham had spent a lifetime learning how to trust God, not just with some things, but with everything, even the things that he can't control. Abraham finally says, God, you can have it all. Have you ever struggled with that? Most of the time I say, God, you can have almost all of it. You can have everything but my financial security. That's the biggest one for me. You can have everything but my power, my position. You can have everything but my addictions. You can have everything but this relationship that I want to keep. We've got to learn to move from everything but to everything. Because our holding on to control, our reluctance to let go of certain things demonstrates our inability to step into the life that God has for us. Because unfortunately, what most of us are looking for, by default in our human nature, what most of us are looking for is a faith that really doesn't require much faith. But when we are willing to walk into the unknown with God, He takes us to the life that we are looking for, the deepest desires of our hearts that God put there Himself. Have you noticed a pattern emerging yet? What about Paul? Do you want a New Testament example? Paul has literally everything figured out. He's like a lot of us. He knows where his income comes from. He knows what he believes. He knows that he's absolutely right about it and everybody else is stupid. He knows how to earn God's favor. He knows what the right political affiliations you're supposed to have are. He's good. There is literally no unknown left in his life. And then boom, you're blind. You're wrong about everything. And I need you to follow me. And I will make you the greatest evangelist to ever live. You and I worshiping here today, the spread of the gospel outside of Jerusalem, we all, we owe that to Paul. But we often skip a part of Paul's story. He didn't go from killer of Christians to God's greatest tool overnight. He 
received back his sight, and then he went into exile to study and learn for three years in the Arabian desert. It tells us in Galatians 1, verse 17 and 18, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus, and after three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. Three years. God said, I need you to wait. As this year has been hard, harder for a lot of you than it has been for me, I know that, and far be it from me to try to make light of all of these struggles, but I know this to be true. God uses unknown to cultivate a faith that is greater than our fear. The encouraging thing is God is not expecting us to get it perfect. He is simply, patiently, graciously reiterating His promises to us each and every day. He has made many promises over the course of human history. Uh, Let me just read a few of my favorites to you. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. For I know the plans I have for you says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. I will never leave you or forsake you. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I love how the word loyal takes this abstract concept of faith away from simply do right and don't do wrong or away from believing all of the right things and places it in the context of a relationship. Because I always love to talk about what God wants to do through you, how he can give your life fulfillment and meaning, how it can leave a mark that will last for generations to come. But equal to what God wants to do through you is what God wants to do in you. He wants a relationship with you. He wants intimacy. He wants your trust. I would encourage all of us in the face of all this craziness that's going on right now to look back and see how God has been faithful before. My favorite part of any story that we read or hear uh, in the Bible or hear people sense is what happens after they finally learn how to walk into the unknown with God. When they fill the gap with faith instead of fear, they always experience intimacy with God, and then they always find a way to change the world, big or small. 
So here's some questions that I think we should go home with today in the midst of all of the unknown in my life. Whatever that looks like for you, think about it. Get it in your head. In the midst of all of this unknown in my life, is my response more faith or is it more fear? And no judgment here. I struggle with this a whole lot more than I would ever care to admit. But am I responding more in faith or in fear? And secondly, all right, we see all of the stress and anxiety and we see all the fear that's being caused right now. But are we seeing the opportunity that's in front of us? With God, when I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, there is a real opportunity to grow. So maybe during this season of insanity, instead of trying to fill the gap with angry Facebook posts or filling it with obsessing over political figures because, you know, if our side wins, we just don't have to worry about this country going to hell in a handbasket anymore. Or instead of filling it with small ways to control our own life or even the lives of people around us, what if we just took a breath and grasped the hand that God is holding out for us and started walking experienced a new kind of intimacy a relationship that's built on trust in the face of the unknown what if we use this time to cultivate a faith a loyalty to god that is greater than our fear will you pray with me god 2020 has been absolutely crazy uh, it's been so difficult for so many people, Lord, and I just, I ask that in the midst of all of this insanity that you can, that you can help us to remember back to when you have been faithful to us before. God, I ask that you can help us all see the opportunity, that you can help grow our faith in the midst of this crisis so that we don't have to continue to be afraid of what's going on in our country, afraid of what's going on in our lives, God, but that we can just have faith and trust in you, knowing that your promises are true and that you're going to pull us through. God, we love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.